Jez, my lovely, how are you? It's nice to see you and hear you. Well, you haven't heard me yet, but now you have. I'm all right. Now I have. <laughs> Phew! <laughs> That's how I am. I'm a little oh, bit excited. The pedantry begins already. <laughs> <laughs> How's your week been, my dear? It's really nice to see you again. It's been great. I've worn almost no clothing all week. It's... Straight in with the too much information. <laughs> <laughs> it's been glorious weather. Um... I've had a really good week. A really good week. I had a new tattoo done yesterday. Did you? I did. Would you like to see it? I was about to ask you that, and then I'm just going to check where it is for the viewers at home on YouTube. If you're an audio uh, member of our community, then this might be a good thing. Listen out for where the Where is it? Um, it's on... <laughs> It's, it's all right. It's on his it's arm. On my it's okay. It's the We're safe, everyone. First part of a half sleeve, so it's fifty percent of a sleeve that's covering up uh, a, a previous tattoo that was there. It's not an ex's it's... name. Don't worry. <laughs> I wasn't going to ask you that. It's beautiful. It is, as you will not be surprised to hear, everyone. Leaves and plants. It's botanical. And so there's a load more. Let me tell you, Kathy. I have never given birth, but I suspect I now know what it feels like. I... Oh, we're going to get emails oh. about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was excruciatingly painful at times. Like, I've, I've had a tattoo before and I never remember it, it hurting that much. But the lovely tattoo lady, Coraline, she said apparently it hurts more as you get older because obviously I guess your skin loses its elasticity and loses its um, youthfulness. Uh, That's the first sign of ageing when tattoos start hurting. <laughs> <laughs> but we're very pleased that it's a botanical one. And I wonder which way you're going to fit Roots, Wings and Other Things, the podcast, in type. Are you going to fit it down your arm or round your bicep? It's going to circumferentiate my bicep and your face Brilliant. is at the end of it. I'm just deciding whether you should look towards me or away from me. But um, okay. they're going to tattoo you with your headscarf in as well. Do you call it a headscarf? Um, Heckerchief? I'm going to call, call it a headband. headband. I'm wearing another of my vast collection of headbands today i'm i'm aiming to wear a different one for every episode how are you you decided that I'd sort try. of halfway through our recording a bit. i did decide that halfway through the recording, but, you know <laughs> i'm learning i'm new to this podcast you're not you're an old hand at it but this well, is my first you know words. what i interviewed a celebrity special guest that's coming up later in our uh, mm. series that i series i shan't name and okay. they were, it was racingly hot outside. It's gorgeous out there today as well. So I'm in shorts and T-shirt because I've been working in the office. Very casual, not seeing anybody. And realised as I started recording that I looked very plain Jane and boring. Plain, a t a plain T-shirt like I'm wearing today. And they looked very smart and very well, you know, thought through. I know who this is. And, and folks, I can't wait for you to see it. <laughs> And I, and I thought, oh, my word, Rose, what are you doing? A little bit of thought <laughs> and effort into the fact that there's a camera involved in this, because I just think about it as a little chat, right? And actually, and I'm, I think I've taken the idea of being relaxed and casual about these podcasts probably a bit far, Cathy. So Particularly week. in the face of this special, special guest <laughs> yes. who is known for looking fabulous uh -huh. all the time. So next I week, cannot wait I'm for everyone to hear black tie. <laughs> Good. Let's do that. That would be hilarious. Special As our series finale, up. 
I'll get the taffeta out. You get the top hat. It's going to be great. Now, before we do that, whilst we're here in our basically pyjamas, what have we got on the show this week? Uh, Well, I'm about to have a rant. Um, We, of course, have got... I'm glad you are. I feel like this has been building up, so I'm I'm here for your rant. A little bit. But, Cathy, you know, a couple of weeks back I said, you really need to be my handler in this, right? You really need to rein me in. (laughs) This is the week I really need you to step up to the mark, okay? Because I could get way out of control this week. I need you... To just <laughs> I, pacify, aggressively control, <laughs> suppress. <laughs> okay, before we get to the rant, yes. what else have we got? Uh, book of the month slash week. Uh, it's, week. It's now week. week. I just keep it's thinking week. about a book of the month. Um, yep. And I've got a cracker this week and you gave me a little sneaky insight into yours and I'm really excited about yours. I think You're going to love it, everyone. Yours could be like a special edition on its own. Um I've got a really curious vegetable of the episode for you. Oh, Lord. Yes. And I never know what it is. We have a little chat before we start recording, and I always try and get you to tell me what the vegetable of the week's going to be so that I can swan in with like, oh, well, it's funny that you should mention <laughs> okra. Yeah. I would suggest. and <laughs> uh, But you'll never tell me, no. so I'm nervous and excited about that. And, uh, yep. Such a tease. We've got a really interesting guest interview this week as well. Um, uh, and she, it is a lady of the species. She has... Uh, I can't believe you just said that, by the way. Got a, why? Lady of the species. Well, as opposed to a man of the species. There's only... <laughs> you can only be one or the other. You can identify fluidly, but there's only two genders of the species, aren't there? Okay, let's move on. <laughs> this might get edited out. Um, I think it might. Who Who is our guest interview this week? Our or are you guest, going to tell us later? Our special guest interview this week is Alice Vincent, uh, who is the brilliant. author of the brilliant book Root Bound and uh, Instagram extraordinaire. She's got some, she's really knows her gram. Is that a thing? Can you say that? Is that a... Tis now. Very much looking forward to Tis her. Now. Yep. Uh, and then I've got a really interesting reflective thing about walkies with Marley this week. I don't know what you've been doing with uh, old Hadders. Hey! That's a thing. Hadley, if you do you ever call him Hadders? Always. So, you know there is a Hadders. You know the actress. She's at Hadders, I think, or Hadders time or something. And I always no. forget who she actually is. One minute. <laughs> Has he nipped on Instagram? Um, so my really lovely friend, Laura Aikman. Please hold, caller. He is looking on his Instagram account. <laughs> who is... Um, uh, lovely Laura is a... Sarah Hadland. She's an actress. Um, mm. And she was in the job lot and probably a million and other things. But I always, I always pigeonhole everybody into the job lot because it's such an incredible um, uh, series. Uh, but she's Hadders. That's sort of her nickname. There we go. So Hadley's got a nickname too. And you know, just I don't know where I was going with that. Probably. Does Marley have a nickname? He has millions of nicknames. Isn't it weird mm. how dogs have so many nicknames? Oh, man. Yeah. He has lots. What are your nicknames for him? Uh, Marlinsky. Tiny dog, puppy, um, uh, moo, mooski. Uh, <laughs> there are loads. We have Hadley, Hadley Bags, Hadley Ruru, Baggins, Boo, Bubs, uh, Mr. Boo, <laughs> Mr. Hads. Uh, I mean, they carry on. <laughs> Isn't it weird what we do? 
sort of horrendous. Oh, this is one for Instagram. Send us your dog pet names. Oh, pets, yes. your pets' pet names. Your pets' pet names. <laughs> but what you should there do are many and various. Is you should write the pets' names on a piece of paper and put it next to the dog, and then take a photo of the or pet. That's fine, but there is a dog bias. Uh, so there is dog bias. Link the name to the to the dog or the pet. Brilliant. Right, let's crack on with the show. Okay. I'm going to give you. I'm going to set a timer. <laughs> you have two minutes. Oh, what? I know for your rant because we've been talking about this and you've been talking about it on Instagram yes. for ages. And right. I do agree with you. It's an issue about mowing. Yes. Go. So it's not time just is the issue about time mowing. is going. So let me address the issue first. The issue is that the council are mowing the verges on my road of wildflowers now uh, so they mow the grass that's my rant let me broaden my rant there uh, last year because i thought this was such a lovely thing i started noticing wildflowers i was walking moo ski marlinski marley whichever you like up and down the road and i counted 11 different species of native wildflowers and uh, I thought that was wonderful. And they're all coming out. And just as they're coming out, a tractor comes along and mows all one side of the verge. I was absolutely mm. livid. There's no reason for them to mow it. I live in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of thousands of acres of arable land. There's a one mile track, which is purely residential. It's low to no traffic. And they decide to mow the entire length of it. There's no need for visibility. Somebody said, oh, but you've got a dike on one side of the road. It might be to do with that. There's no reason why a vehicle should be going onto the grass verge, particularly a you know really wide verge before a dike. It would be cheaper to put a little sign saying, caution, you know, deep dike or, or whatever, if you really want to do that. Um, but you can't, you know, <laughs> you have to sort of expect some responsibility for, for drivers. I can appreciate mowing maybe, I don't know, a metre or a couple towards the junction at the end of the road, although that, again, completely flat and arable, uh, so there wouldn't even be any need for that. I can understand maybe towards, uh, on other roads, towards uh, difficult junctions or roundabouts mowing a bit, but not the whole flipping lot. And then, two weeks later, just the other day, I go out and they're mowing the other side of the bloody verge... So there's all this contractors where it's my money on your money, it's taxpayers' money that's going to pay for the fuel and tractor and, and the contractor to and somebody's time to mow all these sodding verges. So I started tweeting and Instagramming about it, and the council are yet to even acknowledge my tweet, yet to let alone say, okay, yeah, we've identified this there is an area where you could save money. Apparently there's no money for education, apparently there's no money for nurses, apparently there's no money for policing. Well, right outside my gate. <laughs> ten minutes? Yes, I'm it's holding been extended. up ten seconds. Ten seconds. You um, have ten seconds left. There is a way of saving money instantly. So that is my rant. It's ongoing, and I'm about to write letters and make the conversation public to force the council into acknowledging it, owning it, and coming up with an alternative solution. Well, for a start, I think that's amazing broadcasting because you fitted that into pretty much exactly two minutes. So well done. Um and second, now I feel like this is a school debate where I now have a minute to reply, um, but it won't take me a minute because I totally bloody agree with you. It's really annoying. We have the same. I live on a village green. It's a little village green and there isn't a curb between the village where the green stops yes. and the road starts. And it's a single track um, and it's really small. And in the summer, they mow it every couple of weeks and it drives me up the bloody wall yeah. because just as the uh 
flowers, the wild flowers are coming out. And now, admittedly, it's not a huge diversity of flowers, sure. but there is the occasional dandelion, which the bowling club types don't like, uh-huh. but I think are lovely. And there's lots of uh, daisies and sure. that sort of thing. Just as they've come out and are looking fabulous, yep. you're woken up at half past five in the morning, which is another problem yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, yep. by the mowing contractors coming to mow it. And we have this ritual where everyone around the village green, most of whom houses look right out mm-hmm. on, like butt up to the village green, and they've planted wildflowers or hollyhocks yeah, or yeah, snapdragons or whatever up against their wall. We all dash out <laughs> in our pyjamas, <laughs> wrestle the strimmer guy to the ground and say, please don't strim yeah. right up to our houses. Yeah. And we've just about got there. But every time it's like a we all have to launch ourselves Atom. It's crazy. I'm thinking about putting Very stuff on the on the verge to try and discourage it. It, it is absolutely nuts. But um, the thing is, it's not just about this little bit of road. You know, for everybody listening, <clears throat> if you think about how that multiplies out. So since the Second World War, we've lost 97% of wildflower meadows in this country. My God. And so, I appreciate the grass verge isn't a wildflower meadow, but it is that they are actively contributing to the destruction of wildflowers and the habitat and environment in this country. And and they're charging me and you and us for it through our taxes. My council tax went up this year. And I think, well, hang on a minute. What, it could have gone down or, or I, yeah. you could have said, yes, it will go up, but it's going to go somewhere else. The fact that really galls me is that I'm paying for that to happen. Um, yeah. And if you I mu- really agree with multiply you. that out across the country, there are councils all over the place that are still doing that. Um, we could be really helping our, our wildlife out. So, well, that's my I rant. wonder if it is the case for everyone else. I'd be interested um, mm. if you if you have a similar story, listeners. Um, <laughs> but seriously, maybe it's just us. Yeah. Um, let, let us know. I'm interested in anyone's views, or if anyone can explain why they do it, and we can go. Oh, that makes complete sense. Mm. There, there was um, somebody, um, then let us know. rather ranty lady, I have to say, on uh, Twitter. She was a, a councillor. I thought she was overly ranty and overly opinionated for somebody in an elected position. Uh, she was a councillor mm. of a different <clears throat> um, constituency. Who was sort of, sort of defending it and sort of not, and just sort of being a bit opinionated, really, um, and not very, very helpful. But she was saying that uh, you know, in her constituency, there were an awful lot of people that complained when they didn't mow that it looked unruly and and whatever. And I sort of was pushing back and saying, well, then that's an education point of view. You know, if somebody complains, you don't just do it. You know, I mean, that's throughout all of history, there have been dictators that have got away with that kind of behaviour. So you explain to people why it is the money you've saved on paying somebody to mow all of that. You could get some cheap postcards printed that go through everybody's door to say, here's why, you know, by doing this, we're getting greater biodiversity we're providing pollination but dandelions are a classic example a lot of people have issues with dandelions lord only knows why they're an amazing source of amino acids for bees um and, there you go and, and a real well, exactly see and that's my point so if you just saw loads of dandelions and in your mentality you think well we have to get rid of weeds and i don't want you know weeds all over the place or don't want long grass and then the other thing that this particular lady pushed back when she said well you know, I've tried to grow a wild meadow and all I got was grass and dandelions, so it's harder than people think. And I thought, well, your sample argument is one, uh, which is your own attempt at it. Um, and actually, it doesn't matter if it's just grass, because in time, the birds and, and natural seeds will seed. Um, 
so you don't have to go out and actively plant because long grass is habitat as well, right? For, for wildlife, mm. and the wildlife is mm. part of the great circle of life. Um, I'm, anyway, I'm looking down because I think this. I think Hadley's giving me a sign that we should move on. He's under my desk. I don't know if you can hear him on this microphone. He's not farting. He's having a dream, oh. and he's going. Which is a sign that we've put him to sleep. So okay. I think our rant needs to be over. I've got now. a brilliant idea Sorry. for a future episode. Maybe a special edition episode. We should get doggy cam. Oh my god! So that people can see, like in a little corner, they can see what our dogs are doing while we're chatting. Let's do it. A funny feeling Let's that might it. be selected over our <laughs> our screen. <laughs> Fairly sure that would be the case. <laughs> Very good. So now that we've solved the problems of the world. Well, they're not um, solved, but they're highlighted. Uh, what's next? Book of the week? We, yes. Is it time for the week? I'm a bit excited about my book of the week. Yeah, I sort of feel like I should go first this week because yours is such a brilliant one. I'm going to rattle okay. through mine really quickly because I think yours is the better one. And I am so intrigued that I think I just what's need to yours, get through What's yours then? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure it's lovely dear. now I'm a big biography fan I don't I, I, I read a lot of biographies I like a, a non-fiction book I, th- I don't think I've got any fiction books and this is one I read a long time we'll ago we'll come back to that later okay <laughs> this is David Attenborough's autobiography called Life on Air oh I like that idea and you see the link yeah. and he has had the most remarkable, it's a Sunday Times bestseller. This version is a revised and updated version. Um, but I don't know. Uh, this was reprinted 2012, so even this is quite old now. Um, first printed in 2002. There might be some more. It's got some great autobiographical images in here from his early career uh, uh, throughout the broadcasting. Um, yeah. Some really lovely Ooh. insights into different things he's done and different people he's been with and where he's been. But what I didn't know is his life as a broadcaster was entirely accidental. He started off doing sort of research and very much behind the scenes. They had a very boring uh, presenter who used to sort of bring on a caged animal and say, this is a this and look, it's got fur and four legs and next. Um, and I think there was something where he couldn't do it anymore or there was a moment where he wasn't able to do it. Um, and so David Nathanbrook ended up entirely accidentally presenting this little section of a show, uh, found a little budget to go off to go and you know do a little expedition to find some more exciting animals than a cat in a cage and a you know all of this. We got a brown one this week and a you know a blue fluffy one this week or whatever. Um, and therein started his remarkable journey. But what's really lovely is even here in 2012 he alludes to the fact that when he revisited some of those places to look for different animals, he noticed the difference. How before they would have to trek for days and days and days and days and days to get into to find this animal, and there'd be loads of them. And then the second time, or when they you know, subsequently went back, they'd find that most of the habitat had changed or been destroyed or built on or felled, and there were much less of the animal when they went back. But it's about Oof. indigenous peoples as well. You know, there were... Um, tribes that had never been shown on camera before and Attenborough was the first person to find and discover these people and, and put them on film. A great choice. remarkable life. It's um, published by BBC Books um, and it was a, a not put downable book. I don't know what the correct verb for that is. 
I think that is the right word. And I think it's the right word for most of his, for, well, for all of his work and his TV mm-hmm. shows and his books. The thing I find, and you've expressed it exactly, the thing I always find with watching Attenborough's is that most of your brain is absorbed by going, my God, what an amazing life. Sure. My God, what an incredible picture of a whatever or who knew that nature could be by that like that and then there's a little bit of your brain that's kind of wincing slightly because you know what's coming next is and this is terribly endangered or and now this is now extinct and I know that's a really important issue and we've just got to face it and he's done so much I mean his campaign about plastics started as all realizing that we needed to stop using as much plastic and but still it's quite a hard watch sometimes because you're going, this is incredible, oh, and not here anymore. He reminds me a little bit of Jane Goodall in the sense that he has this soft sadness mm. that is the only way that he feels. It's, it's, it's not like he's given up, but it, he comes across as almost the person that realises there's no need to fight because the fighting hasn't worked. Um, Mm. You know, way back when Prince Charles was talking about the environment and organics and different ways of farming, and he was ridiculed for being out there and silly, you know, when he spoke to his plants and all that kind of jazz way back in the 70s or whatever it was. And now, of course, full circle, we realise that speaking to plants is amazing uh, evidence (laughs) to therapy for for positive emotional well-being. And organic is now this massive movement that loads more people are a part of and very supportive of. You know, Attenborough is that guy, is this... This mm. soft, it's underpinned by all this evidence. You know, it's fact. There is the fact. Yeah. There were this many, now there's hardly any. And I'm really sad yeah. about that. And can't we please do something about it, please? Uh, rather than being aggressive and ranty. I love it. Mm. Sounds like a good read. Lovely. I think that's a great choice. Right, on to that. Now, this is my, the one I'm excited my about. My choice <laughs> is a different vibe completely and a very sweet and charming and funny book and it's called The Secret Life of Cows oh, I love the by title. isn't it great by Rosamond Young and it's published by Faber and Faber and it's been published a couple of times and this copy um was illustrated by Anna Koska who's a beautiful artist a botanical artist um and the cover it's a special edition and the cover is really beautiful uh, so if you can pick up any copy i would but if you can pick up the special edition then i definitely would it's exactly as it says in the title it's about the life of cows so rosamond young is a farmer a beef and lamb farmer and they're grass-fed animals and they're butchered at their on-site butchery Amazing. and sold in the farm. So it's all very closed loop. Um, and she's in the Cotswolds, neck of the woods. And she's written this lovely kind of observational diary oh. of uh, of her heritage cows and she's put a family tree in for all of them and they've all got different names and she can see she kind of traces the characteristics of the different cows through the generations um and it's a lovely book because it's beautiful it's a lovely book because it's very calming read and it's also really interesting you go i never knew that about cows um but it's also got a lovely foreword um by alan bennett who i will 
Wow. By we read. I mean, it is such a perfect choice of introduction. And, 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 and does he talk uh, about the cows and, and how the, <laughs> the, the, the lowing of the natural position of the head as they stare lovingly into the pastures? <laughs> That was Alan that Bennett. A, that was Alan Bennett. That's really good. <laughs> I didn't even need telling it was Alan Bennett. I could tell from there. Um, so it's it's described as an affectionate record of a hitherto secret world, hitherto. and it's uh, it's it says that ha- cows are as varied as people. They can be highly intelligent or slow to understand, huh. vain, considerate, proud, shy, or inventive. It's really funny, and I really recommend it. I have it. But in my very small selection of books that sit in the bathroom by the bath so that when I'm chilling out and with my gin and tonic in the bath of an evening, I will turn to one of these books, even though I've read them many times. Huh. But they're just very atmospheric and very charming. I'm and so very funny. pleased it wasn't a fiction book. I was really worried that we were going to get ruined by it being fiction. The... Um, <laughs> Uh, so here's a little coincidence, and uh, we're not paid for this, we don't have any advertisers, but I want to give a shout out. Um, for Saturday Kitchen, a couple of years back, I did some filming at a beef farm called Deersbrook Farm. <clears throat> you can mm. go online, Google them, Deersbrook Farm, and it's uh, the lady who runs that fil- uh, farm is an Anna as well, Anna Bloomfield, and mm. she... Uh, all of their cows are pasture fed only, so they just yep. when, you know when the when the grass is all mowed down, they move them onto another one, let that one recover, keep moving them around, so don't feed them any fodder. And again, they are slaughtered and butchered on site as well. And it's the only place I buy my meat because I know the full circle of the of the um, the, the process. And interestingly, yeah. she has a number of uh, sort of vegan groups that buy meat from them. And what they do is, you know, when the doctor has said, look, you know, your iron levels are low or we need to kind of just monitor this a little bit. Um, you could perhaps do with sourcing some iron from somewhere or meat or whatever. And they've had visits from various different sort of groups of, of people who have chosen veganism. And because they've seen how much they care for the cows and they've got similarly, you know, all of the family history and they're cared for, yeah. they're just not fed anything rubbish. And they know the full process goes on at site uh, with great care. And respect they go and sort of buy a little bit of meat and stock up for the next sort of you know three or six months because they don't eat much but it's just enough and that, that's their way of appeasing it um so it was just that's weird so that impressive you said farming cows anna pasture fed i was yeah. like oh my gosh this is weird um there are, I, I think there are a few people uh farmers doing that now as well and selling them as a, as a collective which obviously gives them more yes. Uh, more buying power. Um, the ones I've been particularly impressed with is there's a place called the New Meat Project, okay. which does something similar with Herefordshire okay. farmers yep. <clears throat> and also Piper's Farm as well. Do And it's all delivery. It's so much easier to get. And similarly with Rosamond Young, you can buy her stuff online oh, as well or at the farm shop, I think. So it's really much easier than it ever used to be to buy properly good meat for the times that Thankfully, you do eat meat as well because Thankfully. you know some people often say to me that's all very well but you know and i think we touched on this on another episode you know organic chickens are expensive and uh, you know the better mm. the conditions that the animals lived in the more expensive it is and i've said that for all the time i've been involved in organic is that ironically the more the, the 
the kinder you want to be to the environment, the more difficult and more expensive it is. You know, it's actually cheaper and yeah. quicker and easier to destroy this place around us, which is heart disheartening, heartbreaking. Um, but if you eat less meat, that's that's a very good thing for the environment and a very good thing for us, actually. You know, we weren't designed just to eat meat. Um, and so if you save up your pennies and buy that more expensive chicken, but make it go further and think about, you know, creating a stock out of the bones and all that kind of jazz and freeze stuff. And um, you'd be surprised how much you can stretch that out. And it becomes a treat mm. rather than a dispensable, you know, cheap three pound chicken that you might throw the carcass away of or something. I think it changes mm. your mindset. You look after something if it's more expensive, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And a book like this makes you realise why you need to look after it sure. as well and how valuable a cow is and that you I'm treat it order that. <clears throat> I grew up with cows Do. <clears throat> and uh, oh. I miss them very, very much. I learned a lot about walking over the fields with cows all the time and about respect and and uh, distance and how they behave. And I miss being around cows. Um, You'll love this book. I was going to say that we should touch on another episode. We might not have time today about dairy farming and calf at foot dairy because that's mm. something i really want to get more into but i've only found one place online that i can get milk from delivered to me and butter and stuff and it's yeah it, it, that is super expensive compared to yeah. what we're used to buying milk for but then the ethics of milk and i think it might shock people to learn exactly what happens when we get milk and how we get milk from the supermarket and exactly what the cows go through and what the calves go through as well um, yeah, we should definitely talk about that. Not least because I'm a massive cheese eater. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay. And I'm learning that there are ways of eating cheese and types of cheese that are more, are more sustainably produced than others. Sure. So yeah, one for another episode, I think. All right, great. I love that. Thanks, Kathy. That's going, I'm just going to make a little note now. I know we even, we talked to each other, but I, I will forget by the time we finish because um, Secret Life of Cows, like it. We'll put it in the show notes as well, Thank so you. everyone can find them. So, are you ready for your veg of the month? Come on then, hit me with it. <laughs> so, you are... Oh, veg of the week, by the oh, way, oh, but yeah, anyway. Veg of the week, sorry, sorry. You'll get there. Maybe by series four, you'll have got your head around the fact that we're <laughs> weekly, now weekly now. Vegetable of the episode. Um, yes. You have heard of the kumquat, I would imagine. Oh, Christ. Tis a fruit, though, not a vegetable. You've heard of the parsnip, two very different things. Have you heard yeah. of the skillet? It's not a thing. Mm. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, hang on. <laughs> Gonna have to Google Let it. Me just double check. <laughs> I have absolutely no <laughs> it idea. It might be a skillet. The skillet. It might be. It's a, a vegetable. Yes. Hang on. It might be a skillet. I can't remember if it's skillet or skillet. Okay, well, you see, if you don't know what it's called, then I feel like I don't have to know how to cook it. It's a skirret. Yes, it is skirret. And, and it grows and it sort of leaps across. Um, they're called the leaping parsnip or something like that. Do you, shall I pick a different one? If you don't know what it is, you you're probably not going to You have totally flummoxed me. No, no, we can save this. I have never heard of that vegetable at all. <gasps> you got me. Yes. Well done. I was hoping I but, would at some point. I'm surprised we got there so early. <laughs> so my jazz hands tap dancing save of this for our podcast <laughs> is... If you, dear listener, have heard of a skirret, spelled S-K-I-R-R-E-T, which, according to a very quick Google search, seems to be possibly a sort of carrot, part of the carrot family. 
Um, if you know what to do with it or have a favourite like family recipe, oh, they look hideous. They look like kind of skinny dahlia corns yeah. or something. Yeah. And the, the, so, the top comes out and leans forwards and a bit like a strawberry, it then roots and it creates another one and then it does the same and creates another. So it creates this leaping propagation. Wow. So it's quite invasive as well. It sounds like a great vegetable to grow. You'd but love it. But tell us... If you know how to cook it, save me uh, from my massive fail of vegetable of the week and uh, tell us what to do with it. And then we'll try and find some. Better still, if you know where we can buy it or how we can grow it, um, seeds, then uh, I don't share why, them with us. But I'm sensing it would be the sort of thing that would be nice pan fried in some butter. Just Everything's nice pan fried <laughs> in some butter. <laughs> That's not a okay, thing. Okay, so... We are going to recover this. You're not getting out of it that easy. Because I had a backup. I thought if she doesn't know what a skirt is, I've got a backup. Okay, Kathy, this save is a my challenge blushes. for you. I hate radishes with a passion. But I see loads of your face. <laughs> How can you hate a radish? They're wonderful. They're bitter. They're hard. They're annoying. They're tasteless. I grew up on my dad just having, oh, I like radishes. And it's like almost like biting into a weird onion. Uh, and he would have them sort of whole or cut in half on his plate, and it would ruin dinner for me. I like the look of them. They've got that cute little tufty thing, which I know you're a big fan of anything with green tufts, because that can be a, a salsa verde or like mm -hmm. a, a, a herb dressing or whatever. Um, I like that they look cute, the little kind of like spinning toppy type thing. And I see them around all the time. I see people growing them all the time, really popular. And I think, how on earth are they popular, given that they're so gross? Kathy, well. your second vegetable episode is... The radish. Well, now I can do that, <laughs> definitely. Because the reason people grow radishes correctly <laughs> is because they're really easy to grow. Oh, okay. They're really fast to grow and they look beautiful. And you can grow them almost any time of year, pretty much between February and November, December time. You can have radishes. Oh. Uh, so they're a great starter crop. You can grow them in window boxes. You can practically grow them in old ice cream pots. Wow. They're so easy. So they're great for growing with kids as well because they're like little jewels when they yeah. pop up. And the other reason people grow them is because they're delicious, mm, Jess. No, if you've only had shop-bought ones, you might think they're just a bit watery with a vague peppery kick towards the end. If you gr and they're only red. If you grow them yourself, they come in all sorts of colours, oh. pinks and purples, and yellows and whites, there's been black ones oh, in the winter. I'm excited now. So they're like a kind of jewel, sweet shop um, harvest, and they taste, they're quite potent when you grow them yourself. They're very peppery. They taste a bit like rocket mm. in that kind of, oh gosh, kick to them. Um, if you like that kick, the best way to eat them is what I call a radish slammer, which is a bit like a tequila slammer, but much better for you. So you take your radish and you have next to it some nice, really flaky salt, like a molded salt Ooh. or a Cornish sea salt, yeah. something really actually a little bit sweet, those flaky salts are. And then some very good, very soft butter. And you take your radish and you scoop it, like smear it through the butter oh and then squidge it into the salt and then you bite oh. it. And you get this sweetness of the butter 
and then the crunch of the pep of the peppery fresh watery radish um and then this kick of salt with the peppery radish as well and it's just heaven so eat them raw like that or if you struggle now this is be where i'd recommend you should start yes. if you're a radish denier <laughs> then st- which is a shame um, we'll have to talk about whether we can still be friends or not later. Uh, but for the radish denier, I would roast them because it really takes the edge off Roast them. radishes? Yeah. So just pop them in a pan with some olive oil and some salt and a little... Um, and whole or cut may- up or what are we doing with them? If they're big, I'd, put, I'd halve them, right. but otherwise just whole. Wow. And then whack them in a really hot oven for about 10, 15, 10 minutes and then drizzle them with a tiny bit of balsamic vinegar and whack them in again so that kind of glazes over the following sort of five minutes. And they'll go this really beautiful baby pink. It's so pretty. And they'll gnarly up around the outsides and go a bit brown. And they're much sweeter when you've cooked them. It takes all the pepperiness out of them. So you just get this kind of earthy sweetness, a bit like a turnip by that point and they're completely lovely great with feta on top great as a side with lots of buttery juices from a chicken yeah. but or or with um with salmon as well well there you go you might have saved the radishes this year saved radishes and, and saved my uh <laughs> saved my reputation after the fail of the skirret or whatever you invented it's probably pronounced wrong there'll be people saying oh jez it's skirret Scurray, yes. It's like quinoa. I don't know. Anyway, I'll tell you who does know what they're talking about, and that is our celebrity special guest this week. Oh, tell me all about her. I'm very excited. Well, I'm not going to tell you about her, because I think she probably will tell us all about her. She's a writer um, uh, that's been writing about plants since she was a bit younger. She won't mind me telling you now. She's still actually pretty young. She's, you know, a millennial. Uh, But she's a professional writer. She writes for the uh, various different newspapers... She's got a new book out, relatively new, called Rootbound. I've asked her a little bit about that, uh, but particularly about her journey through gardening. And she was wonderfully open about this sort of life crisis and a redemption through nature that she experienced. So um, if you've not already looked on Instagram and hooked up with her there because she's got this incredible, incredible Instagram feed, I think we should take a little listen to Alice Vincent. Alice Cathy is going to be really, really jealous that I got to interview you and she did because um, I know you've got huge kindred spirit and you're both a bit of a a bit of a, a fan of the Instagram and very good at it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm terrible at it. And yours always looks gorgeous with just the most amazing, like carefully created shots and stuff. And mine doesn't. Well, I, I don't know. I feel like I look at other people's accounts and I, I'm like, wow, you can you clearly use the proper camera and some editing software, which are things that I'm ah. capable of doing. Uh, so that's kind of you. But I think it's just the grass is always greener situation, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's where Instagram flourishes because it, it massively markets the fact that everybody <laughs> else's life looks better than yours. Um, so listen, I want to get into your rooty head. All right. That's that's where I think everyone's going to get huge value. Mm. Ooh. 
So I never kind of, it wasn't like one day I sat down and was like, I'm going to write a nature memoir about how I had a quarter life crisis and got really into gardening. (laughs) Um, In fact, I only really understood once I'd written it, why I'd written it once I'd written it with the help of um, my life coach, which is a very LA saying, but like, uh, yeah. And and we sort of established that it was written because it was my way of processing happened to me for the previous few years um and which wasn't particularly dramatic it's the kind of life changes that a lot of people go through in their mid to late 20s which is that the job you've tried to get for 10 years suddenly isn't what you want to do anymore the person you thought you were going to maybe spend your life with doesn't want to do that anymore the you know you maybe think that you've got I thought I had my lot together and this is my life and then it transpired that no that wasn't what's going to happen and where you know did all the normal kind of life crisis stuff probably drank a bit too much partied quite hard etc but the one thing that gave me a sense of stability and constancy was engaging with the outdoor world around me only I wasn't like in the countryside I was in um, various different flats in South London with none of which had gardens so I community gardened and I balcony gardened and I wandered around the often closed squares, garden squares in the posh bits of town. And I went through council estates in the less posh bits of town. And everywhere I looked, I was engaging with what was growing. And as the year moved on and I picked myself back up, I charted my progress through the seasons. And so I started writing this in a series of newsletters, these kind of observations, and then... um, there was a long and drawn out process of imposter syndrome, but in short, it became a book. I don't think anything's ever that simple, but it's certainly, for me, yes, my heart was broken, but more than that, my life was entirely destabilised. So nature, which is a word I've got a complicated relationship with because I kind of believe that humans are part of, the minute we sort of see nature as other is the minute we start messing around with it a bit too much, but the outside world and growing things and plants um, very much gave me a sense that I was just this tiny part of a much bigger picture that really knew what it was doing and kind of instinctively would go to seed, would grow, would blossom, would set seed, would go through this cycle that I was just an observer and hopefully a participant in. And so when I, you know, when I was freaking out about where am I going to live or what job am I going to do? you could kind of see the buddlier going to seed and you'd be like, oh, right, okay, well, this is, in a year, this is going to be totally different and also exactly the same. And that was very grounding. I have so many questions. I've got to try and stick to the <laughs> ones that I want to ask you. But, <laughs> but um, when, you, when you're engaging with nature, yeah. do you, is there a sort of, uh, a sense of restoration and balance that you get back and what, and what is it that you think does that because I mean you're saying actually you sort of fell into finding nature as a piece of healing for you during a 
quite a, a, a tumultuous period of your life in terms yeah. of life changes and and uh, and core unmet needs. Um, but but that was sort of from what I'm hearing was sort of accidental. It wasn't like you went. I know what I need to do. I need to go and immerse myself in nature. So. Yeah. So what is it about nature that helps that kind of re-nurturing and that, that rebuilding, do you think? I think it's different for everyone. I think there's also um, a lot of science that explains the kind of botanical and chemical changes that happen to us as humans when we are in a natural environment. And there's a book called um, Losing Eden by Lucy Jones, which is fantastic for explaining all of these things. Um, but for me personally, it was a combination of the generation I grew up in. So I'm 32. I'm a classic, slightly old millennial. And um, and credit to my parents and whatever, but I was essentially brought up with the notion that if you work hard enough, you'll get what you want and you'll be happy. And it doesn't always work like that. Like, the you know, late capitalism very much says work really hard and, and everything will be given to you. And it doesn't it doesn't work like that. And so it, for me, it just chills me out. Like it calms me down. If I'm having a bad day, even if it's completely bucketing it down outside, I will put in a mat and I will have like a walk. It starts out slightly furious and then I'll come back to the house 20 minutes later and I'm just a much nicer person. Like, it just it just calms me down. And I think there's a huge pressure, especially with these increasing and, and needed conversations about the mental health benefits of engaging with the outside world, that every time you go to the, to the woods, you have an epiphany. And I don't really think that's the case. It's more of a practice. Every day, I did it today, I did it every day, in the kind of the gap between getting dressed and having breakfast, I will go and I'll walk around my garden. And it's just, it's just like, a, it's like a little vitamin shot or a pet me up. It's just a a really necessary part of my day. I think that's a really core cool, um, thing to understand is it doesn't necessarily, you don't need to necessarily understand the science or the why. It's absolutely okay just to accept it for what it is and say, actually, I find this nourishing. I don't need to know why, uh, but but if it's doing good, then I'm going to continue doing it, right? Right, um, exactly. So, so, sources of inspiration, right? We've got deeper into Alice Vincent's brain now, right? So um, <laughs> the book is there. Um, yeah. Obviously, that's a kind of accidental, natural inspiration. Maybe maybe you can allude to that. But mm. the Instagram thing, super hot, flame, <laughs> flame, flame emoji and all that kind of cool stuff that you're going to do. Um, but what is it? What are the sort of sources of inspiration for you for maybe for creativity? You know, so uh, because obviously you write articles for various different publications um, about gardening and about and the, the series that you did, which I really loved was about sort of small space, you know, balcony and container gardening and, and the jungle, your flat that was the jungle. Yeah. Um, so where do you find those inspirations? And have you got sort of go-to sources? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I I mean, I'm a, I've been a writer, I am a professional writer. That's the only job I've really ever had um, as a grown-up. So words and books often. Um, so, I mean, you are can't really see on the zoom but there's piles of books everywhere uh which makes sense in my head but no one else (laughs) would understand what their different categorization is but um reading things that's why I mentioned Lucy's book but yeah like 
you know, at the moment I'm reading Catherine Swift's The Morville Hours, Jay Griffith's Wild is incredible, um, Susan Samard's um, In Search of the Mother Tree, those are three I've got on the go at the moment, and they are just mind-blowing the way that these women are uh, no, like understanding their relationship with growing things. That's, that's very inspiring to me. Um, and also designers. So on my left-hand side, I have got... Um, Pete Udoff's planting plan for Hauser and Worth Garden in Somerset, Ooh. which is the closest thing I've been to being in a dreamscape. Like, <laughs> I was just, I went, I took myself down there. Uh, I was on like some work business last October and I was just like tripping out among all these like weird, fluffy grasses. Wow. It was amazing. Yeah, it was Completely so cool. drug free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Entirely sober. Uh, I've had a cup of tea on the go. It was it was amazing. And then you know what? Like that daily walk around, like that. You know, you're just sort of. I keep a really close eye on my quite small garden, um, but still, I'm endlessly surprised. Like I went out there today, and like a hollyhock seemed to have doubled in size, and I was like, "When did that happen?" You know, like there's, you know, the kind of or you know, there are certain blocks of flats where everything is a, is a bit scruffy, but there's like one balcony that's just smothered in very beloved pelagoniums. And sure. you're like, that is awesome. You know, right. it's, um, I don't know, like, to, it's not like I look at what's in my brain and I'm like, oh yes, you're my inspiration. There's just, there are various things, you know, often it's, um, I really like the way that uh, natural light moves around the house in the day. That's something yeah. that's, always amazed me and and um yeah just keeping an eye and an ear on things really that's pretty eclectic yeah. um, so we first met when yeah. uh we were working for a uh at the launch of a brand non-specific organic drinks company <laughs> um and you were brought in to talk about and and sort of run a sort of a mini workshop really for people to get them to physically understand about this idea of connecting more with nature. And there was a whole wider campaign, but you're just going to narrow down on your little piece. And so something relatively straightforward and simple, largely, I suppose, because we didn't really have time, resources, or much space from what I could see. Um, but you were showing people how to plant, you know, pot up a plant and talk broadly about caring for houseplants. What is it do you think that attracts people to want to buy I know it sounds like a really strange question but it's going somewhere yeah. to want to get a house plant or to want to want to have more house plants because it's for me it's not that there's a very fine line between oh this is a movement I'm sensing and it's becoming cool and everybody's doing it and I'd because naturally innately as human beings we want to fit in so I'll jump onto that via association and I'll get my house plant. And I can say, oh, I, I've done that too. We're all part of the same club. I feel like I belong. Yeah. But there's a, I think there's a deeper, more sort of kinesthetic, um, subconsciously cerebral, actually, probably, um, draw to that. What, what is it about that stimulates, ignoring the science, do you think, that, that draws people to want to get their hands in soil and, and actively, you know, plant, pot, whatever, um, because one of the things I loved about that activity was that at a superficial level, it's quote unquote, putting a plant in a pot, right? But at a <laughs> bigger level, it's if you don't have a garden or like you for years, yeah. realize that in order to get that contact that you instinctively know is so important and rewarding and nourishing. 
you've got to find it somewhere, right? Um, and this brings it directly to you. So what was, maybe based on your own experience, what do you think it is that draws people to that? I think it's something that's um, that's in us that, you know, the kind of society we live in uh, and, the, and the generation in which a lot of those, I mean, it's millennials who love houseplants. It's the thing that's kind of been uh, pointed out over and over again. Um, we were the last generation to grow up without the internet and the first generation to grow up with it. So we have become very uh, expecting of and reliant upon instant gratification. You know, you mentioned Instagram. That's something where you like release a photo on the internet and then just wait for the likes to come in, you know, that like we can deliver everything from a takeaway to a cab to a date via a phone everything is um we need it quicker and faster and that's what we've come to expect at the moment i'm surrounded in brixton by all these adverts for groceries that can be delivered in 10 minutes and i'm just like what what is that like who needs that how does that work um case in point so you can't do that with plants like you can order them through your phone but once they turn up you you can either stick it in a corner and watch it die or you can, you can put it somewhere bright and give it some water and engage with it. And then when it puts out a new leaf, it's genuinely really exciting and it's gratifying. And that's not just for me because, I mean, yes, you're in one of the more houseplanty rooms, but like I don't really... I'm more of an outdoors person sure. and so, you know, I've got them, but, you know, I'm more about the outside. Um that, that's something I've seen time and time and time again that people will share on their social media, that people will share anecdotally to me, that they love the fact that there is this thing in the corner of the house and it is growing and it is growing real slow, and it, but it's so exciting. And so there's that, which is just, I just don't think you can deny it. I think you could take the most cynical, grumpy person and give them a pot of soil with a seed in <laughs> and be like watch that for a week and see if they don't get a bit excited when a seedling turns up this sounds like a challenge we yeah. should lay that down right i want all right. of our listeners i'm going to speak to kathy about this she probably knows some grumpy people yeah um not because she attracts them i might have to edit that <laughs> bit out um but <laughs> but everybody should find a grumpy person yeah. and go uh give them a house plant yeah, that's it. yeah let's see what happens the first exactly. thing they'll do is moan about it oh that's another thing to look after and dust <laughs> right. 100% and then it'll be like hi and next thing you know they'll be totally in love with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next yeah. time you they'll be whistling to themselves. So you've already said you're a professional writer first and foremost yeah. but you you are writing in a space of sort of gardening and growing. Would you consider yourself a gardener or not? Yes but it took me a really long time to call myself that. Okay. Yeah so I think probably in the last couple of years I've started to be like yeah I'm a gardener. Um, uh -huh. okay. You know I'm a, like people if I'm at a party people are like what's your job I'm like I'm a writer but um yeah if we're talking about plants it, with strangers sure. uh, or whatever then I probably will be like yeah I'm a gardener but I yeah I think a lot of people are aren't they and I think there's a lot of sure. there's a lot of sense that if you don't have the RHS level two or <laughs> you know you don't know the Latin name for something or you dabble then then you you're not a gardener Yep. I also have a kind of weird relationship with that word because I think my relate my kind of understanding of growing and involving with the with the outdoor world is gardening just sometimes sounds so parochial, you know? <laughs> it sounds so kind of fussy and well, 
and foam kneelers and and beige and like for me like it's all about growing which is something so much sexier and fun and earthy you know so but yeah, I'm a gardener <laughs> I love this all right sexy and earthy that's I'm all I'm all down with this, this is <laughs> like this sort of turned into the sort of I don't know <laughs> blunders and successes this is what I want I'm all for this right you are the lady on the gram, right? Instagram is a light with all of your gorgeous. You've got this lovely sort of um, courtyard garden outside, like a walled. Is it? Is it walled? It is, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I'm watching a squirrel dig it up as we speak. Yeah, right. I know, and I put tons of mulch out, and now the garden and it looked gorgeous for 24 hours, like all neat and lovely and nourished, and oh, it's great. And then 24 hours later, the blackbird's been like, not that bit, not that bit, not that bit. <laughs> dig, 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 dig. It's just everywhere now. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Nice while it lasted. Yeah, yeah. So I want to hear from somebody who, uh, perhaps an awful lot of people, you know, they might have you saved on their Instagram or they might have, you know, read the book and gone, this is somebody who's got it, right? She's she's there. She's lived it. She's got her sort of feet under the desk with it. You know, I'm new to gardening or I don't have a garden, but I like the idea. I want to know the real human, Alice Vincent. So (laughs) um, give us a couple of examples of some of your greatest blunders, but we'll balance it with some of your greatest successes as well. There's a kind of persistent one that's been the case ever since, ever since I started gardening, what, seven years ago, which is that I'm small, but I'm incredibly clumsy, like incredibly (laughs) clumsy. So when I gardened on a small space, like my first balcony was less than four metres long and less than a metre wide. And then I elevated to one that was nearly six metres and slightly more than a metre. But you know, small, small spaces full of plants. You can't do anything without just like turning around and the whole the whole thing would get knocked over. Like <laughs> that is a consistent like bug knocks everything over. So and that's, that's the case now. I've got lo- like a lot more proportionally, a lot more space. But I'm curious about what's happening in the flower beds. And so it's just like bosh, there goes something, there goes something, like just very clumsy. So that's one thing. But another thing is just like, oh man, edibles. So put a friend grew a rhubarb, had a rhubarb turn up in a pot. I took it in, was like, oh my God, amazing. It's just started going yellow. I've now mulched it, oh. but it, it's very odd. You know, like I'm, it's, I'm, I'm just a bit, I think the, the best gardeners or the ones who get really good results are quite meticulous about things. And I'm just not that. So my seed sowing is all over the place. <laughs> um, like everything is a bit wing and a prayer so it probably looks very together but I'm I'm very much a gardener who works on gut instinct so you will so, not find immaculate seed beds in my garden so and for you, like, it's very much about the journey it's about the doing it rather than the here's the end result that's got to be perfect I've got to get to that it's more about the I'm just gonna see where this goes yeah, and I'll have a plan in mind, like, you know, I've quite carefully curated my colour selection and, and I think about what I'm going to grow where because otherwise it, it won't live. But then if it's like, oh, you've ended up with three tomato plants from someone's benevolent uncle, it's like, well, I don't see what happens with this, like, <laughs> I guess. Um much more relaxing way of doing it. It sounds much nicer. There's less stress involved, in it. I think if there was another gardener in the house, they'd probably be like, what is happening? But uh, there's not. So it's fine. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Uh, okay, so what about successes? God, I don't know. For a long time, in the year that I wrote the last book, I'd also discovered how to poach an egg properly, and I was more proud of learning how to poach the egg 
then of writing the book because it just seemed like such a challenging thing for a while. Was, uh, hang on a minute. Well, 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 hang on, hang on. We've got to back up. Okay. How, what's the perfect egg poaching for Alice? This is controversial <laughs> stuff now. For a long time, I did it. I've done it so many different ways. For a long time, I would use a sieve bizarrely in the water with an egg but then I graduate and you know I've done the vinegar I've done the spinning of the water I've done all these things these very fresh eggs whatever the best way to get a good poached egg is to use a flat shallow like a frying a deep frying pan and you fill that with water and you crack a couple of eggs into it bingo like it shouldn't work but the surface tension holds them together yeah I like that all right good and do you take it off the heat? No. Oh, so you keep it on the heat, cooking away? Very slow simmer, which is difficult on, um, got one of those induction hobs. Yeah. Nightmare. But yeah, yeah, just keep it very, very chill. All right. So listen, we're coming to the end of this interview. I have five quick fire questions. You know okay, nothing. great. I love a quick fire question. Everybody's going for quick fire questions on this. Everybody's getting them, sorry, on in this new series. So are you ready? Yeah. Right. As little thinking as possible. That is the idea behind quick fire. No, no, this is where I'm going to say something very rude, I'm sure. Anyway. (laughs) That's fine. I love a a bleeper. Uh, (laughs) Number one, roses or peonies? Peonies. Oh, look at that. Instinctive. Like it. Uh, Two, terracotta or glazed? Terracotta. Number three, spring or summer? Spring. Five, four even. (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather... Okay. Blunt secateurs oh. or a blunt cutting knife? I'd rather a blunt cutting knife. Okay. And five, this is loaded. I'm not going to pretend it's not. Okay. Dogs or cats? Ah, dogs. Oh, yes. Good answer. Well done. You've gone straight to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Thanks, Alice. So listen, uh, Rootbound is out already, right? It's out now? Very much out. Out in paperback form, as well as Kindle and... Uh, audio read by someone who sounds like me on a good day. Ah, oh, that's very good. It's always good when they can get somebody uh, that sounds like you and doesn't completely ruin it, so it's not a massive disappointment. <laughs> uh, um, and where can people find you if they have no idea about this amazing Instagram that I've really picked up and your <laughs> some of your honest approaches to flowers and gardening or whatever? Where can they find you? Uh, I am on Instagram.com slash Nauticulture, which is difficult to spell uh n-o-u-g-h-t-i culture uh but if you just put my name in google it'll probably come up i've got a quick 20 second last question where's nauticulture from why nauticulture i invented it on the top deck of the number eight bus after a christmas party in 2015 but it's That's, a, so what so it's a drunken <laughs> a drunken portmanteau <laughs> to express the fact that it was about gardening but i didn't know anything so i was like horticulture and naught together like that very much alice vinton it's been a joy having you i know kathy's going to be super jealous and i quite like the fact that i got some of the the ones that she's going to be jealous of um is there anything else that you would like to say to our listeners or anything else that we haven't covered that you're desperate to get out there and you're like i don't know massive news a little scoop that would be nice exclusive for working on a new book i'm not sure how exclusive that is but it's called why women grow and it's about women's connection with the earth and it's out in 2023 I like that very much. Well, all right, we'll look forward to it. Um, Alice Vincent, it's been a joy and a pleasure. Have a lovely day. You can say goodbye to everybody now. 
Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for listening. What a lovely interview. And yet another dog person. Do you think this is getting a bit awkward that you and I (laughs) seem to only pretty much exclusively interview people who end up liking dogs more than cats? I was just about to point that out, that we don't engineer this. It's not like we approach people for interview and say, sorry, just before we agree to put this in, are you a dog person or a cat person? (laughs) (laughs) But maybe we're just drawn to them. It's a kind of, it's a kind of, I don't know, feeling that everyone has you, you're probably a dog person as well. Yeah, or is it like an outsidey person? Like if you're outdoorsy and you like the outdoors and being out, then it sort of ergo goes hand in hand that you might have a dog because you're out you don't mind a bit of rain you don't mind all seasons so your little pooch can come with you maybe i don't know and i'll just remind all outdoorsy cat loving people <laughs> that they can message chairs <laughs> at roots wings podcast on instagram to tell him he's wrong <laughs> there won't be uh, any now- outdoorsy cat people <laughs> uh, oh, I wonder if you knew she was dogs, dogsy when you met her. No. Because you met her, right? Yeah, yes. We met at this product launch where where she was potting houseplants. That's why I thought she was really the, you know, the houseplant person. So it was really nice to Which hear. would make me think she'd be a cat person, right. you see. So, yeah. And, yeah. But she's not. Slander. Uh, so... <laughs> So, and if you'd like to pick Kathy up on that, if you're an indoor cat person and feel that you've been... <laughs> <laughs> targeted um you can still get her at, at roots with podcast <laughs> um uh, yes uh no she came across as um i don't know really just a very planty person she, very classically a writer very pensive sort of thoughtful uh, i can imagine her whiling away her days you know tucked away in a corner somewhere so and i really loved that idea i mean great for her you know she's moved to this much bigger um, flat now with a, a lovely cottage, uh, sorry, lovely courtyard garden. It just so happens to be walled. I was so jealous. Three sides of walls. Oh, I'd Oof. love a walled garden, wouldn't you? Like the heat and stuff. Such opportunity, yeah. yeah. No. Uh, but no, I think she just, I mean, she just came across as a, as a lovely person and it's great to see her sharing quite honestly and frankly on, on Instagram. She, she's quite happy to share her fails like we are. And I think it's nice to see yep. more people saying that didn't work out or, oh, well. <laughs> Reminders of the name of her book and where people can get so it, because I'm sure everyone will want to know more about mm, her if they don't already. It's a great book. It's a nice read, and she's very well read, obviously, as you'd expect being a writer. It's Root Bound, mm. and uh, you can catch her on Instagram at Nauticulture, uh, which is an odd one in terms of spelling, but it's Naut as in N-O-U-G-H-T, I-culture, I-culture. But we'll, we'll tag her on, so head to Root's Wings podcast, and you can see, uh, you can link up to her there. Amazing. Talking Lovely. to dogs, Kathy. Talking of dogs, yes, um, Hadley is still snoring <laughs> under the desk here. Um, Marley, update, please. Well, Marley, update currently is Marley has got worse and uh, is not walking very well at all. Uh, lots of limping. He had the vet round uh, just to sort of, I wanted to make sure that there wasn't anything else untowards. He had a good feel and a move around and didn't really seem to recover from that feel and move around. I think that really aggravated his joints. He's got this huge lump now on his forepaw, which is a bit of a quite a big arthritic lump. So we tried a little bit of laser therapy, spoke about Bowen therapy. So yeah. the lovely Bowen lady's coming tomorrow to try his first Bowen therapy. But I upped his pain meds a little bit. And yesterday, Kathy Slack, something incredible happened. 
My very old Marley, who in his head thinks he's still four and wants to run after the flying toy through the air and chase (laughs) balls and scoot around the garden and chase things and woof at the gate. Can't do that anymore because he totters and he finds it very difficult. He spends all the time licking his paws and in a lot of pain and discomfort. Sometimes I have to carry him to help him onto something. Yesterday evening, he tore around that garden like a three-year-old puppy again. Leaping through the grass in the meadow, running around, spinning around, up and down through the different garden areas. It was in just beautiful so i think the little... full of the joys of summer exactly i'm so that. pleased yeah. so i think that little increase in pain meds has, has helped take that edge off of the pain for him it doesn't change where he is so we're just going to experiment now finding a nice little balance between laser and pain meds and bowing and kind of see if we can make this last little yeah. part of his journey as pain-free and happy oh. as possible because there's just nothing is there like seeing the ones that we love in pain it's just so oh. heartbreaking Hadley Hadley sends love and empathises with the laser treatment. When he broke his toe oh. a couple of years ago, he had laser therapy as to help it heal, and it made such a difference. Amazing, so isn't it? Incredible I hope it's, what we I'm can glad do it is for, for him. Now. It's wonderful. So, yeah, he's so he's uh, better. I don't really see him very much because um, he, uh, Mr. Wonderful, who's living here, um, he, Marley spends most of the time with Mr. Wonderful rather than with me. Um, Which I think is always a sign you've got the right person, right? I when know, your dog right. likes them as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, mm. yeah, I mean, I was shunned pretty much from the beginning. It was, yeah, there was, there was <laughs> and Marley didn't really make any excuses. We used to have this lovely routine where I'd come downstairs, make a cup of tea, Marley would follow me. He'd get his tablet. I'd make my cup of tea. We'd go and sit on the sofa. He would snooze while I read my book and had my cup of tea. I'd go upstairs, get changed, have a shower, come back downstairs. He'd be there saying, oh, it's time now for breakfast. And then he'd be stuck to me the whole day like a little shadow. Now what happens is I get up, I walk downstairs on my own, make two cups of tea (laughs) on my own, get Marley's tablet, take one of the cups of tea upstairs with Marley's tablet so that Mr. Wonderful gets his cup of tea and Marley gets his tablet because he's still on the bed with Mr. Wonderful who has noticed that I've gone, so there's a space missing, so scooches up nice and close next to Mr. Wonderful. Um, and then I get on with most of my day and don't... I mean, he's not even here. He used to sit here next to me recording whenever we did anything. Now he's like, Jez, who? Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember. <laughs> I, I'm just a cat. Well, cow. on the plus side, I think this is a sign... Yeah, this is definitely a sign because dogs are such a good judge of character. Yeah, so well, take, take silver linings and all <laughs> Exactly, <but> so. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's been so lovely to chat. Always. As as always, it's always a pleasure. Um, We've got lots of ways that people can keep in touch with us until next week's episode, haven't we? We have, but before we go, I have a little something. I have a little something I want to share. Because on my to-do list this um, week... Has been, and I know we haven't done to do list. You're quite right. I'm yeah, just gonna just so I'll sneak that in. Uh, <laughs> but um, on my to do list has been there's a huge amount of stuff in the garden because we've had that really slow start, really really cold start to the, mm. the spring this year, and it knocked a lot of stuff back. I think because certainly in we spoke about it before, but those early frosts mm. that came in just suddenly and knocked a lot of things back. A lot of the buds that were coming in, you know, they they went back. Um, so my to-do list on my peg 
is huge. It, well, three pieces of paper on the last gardening day on Wednesday. <laughs> um, so I, How do you walk around with it all the time? Well, I was contemplating like three pegs because I realised that when you put one piece of paper behind the other, it negates the peg list because you can't see the other two pieces of paper. So I was even it's thinking, true. do I go peg left, peg central, peg right? Because if you think I look like a Wally with just one peg and a piece of paper stats, if you can imagine, I may as well just go the full hog and have one on each brace and one in the middle, right? <laughs> <laughs> so but I'm doing an awful lot of weeding to keep on top of it because you know what it's like this time of the year, a little bit of rain, a little bit of warmth and boof, the weeds come up. Mm-hmm. I sort of feel I've missed the opportunity to move stuff around because I wanted to move things out of borders and they've just grown so quickly, it's not a good idea now to move them. So a lot of cutting back to keep stuff tidy and sorting the edges out because of the sodding blackbirds that have decided they don't want nice crisp edges in the same same so annoying tying in the roses because they're starting to really creep up over the archways now um, and it's lovely seeing those burst out and this is my point cutting flowers from the uh, borders and the beds and bringing them inside just into random little arrangements and I don't really know what I'm doing or what to cut, really. And some of the stuff doesn't survive. But later on in the series, we are going to be speaking to somebody, uh, one of our celebrity special guests, who is going to give us some uh, flower arranging tips. I just know it uh, to make all the difference. But this is my top tip for this week, actually, Cathy. This is what I wanted to mm. sort of leave you with. I learned recently that, because I love sweet peas, and I learned that, you know, that there's little tendrils that come out and wrap around stuff. Yes. Well, mm. Once you get them going, uh, you know, using the tendrils to wrap round a pole or an obelisk or whatever, just a bit of cane is fine. Mm. If you remove those tendrils, just pick them off, when you go and cut your flowers, the energy goes from the tendrils trying to keep going on and, you know, climbing and goes into flower production. So by cutting Uh, the sweet peas, uh, most people know that, you know, the more you cut, the more you get. Same with a lot of flowers, actually. Um, you just have to be brave enough to say, oh, no, there's gonna, it's going to be bare. And what I tend to do is I, rather than going from just one big clump, I start left to right and think, OK, I'm going to take 10 flowers, three from here, three from here and four from here, so that it spreads the amount that you're taking from the bush or the display or whatever, so that what you leave isn't sort of bare. Um, but that bunch in is gorgeous. Oh. And I always take some greenery as well, like mint or... Uh, anything that's proliferous, um, sometimes even because of yew trees here, so branches of those, just to create some contrast against the flowers. You've got an instant lovely display. But the thing Beautiful. with the sweet peas, keep cutting the flowers and they keep coming back, but just nip yep. off those tendrils like you'd nip off the centre bit of the tomato plants. Yes. And then, of course, all of the energy goes into the fruit for the tomatoes and the sweet peas goes into more flowers. I didn't know that. That is a top tip. tip. And will you put some pictures of yes. your bunches of flowers on Instagram? Oh, I'd for love to. Well? Yes, I could share my Jez's florist attempts. <laughs> Amazing. That's it. It's you now. <laughs> oh, is it me? <laughs> that was a long gap. I'll edit that out. It was a long gap, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I railroaded you. You were about to close... And tell us how people can get in touch and what they can do. Because I know Marley would love a biscuit. Oh, yes. Well, you have to do the biscuit thing because I can't spell coffee fee-fee oh, or whatever no, you call it. Wish, do you know what? what? What happened to the good old days? You chuck it in a P.O. box to the BBC and it just arrives. 
On a postcard and everything. Right, sell a tape of pound to a postcard and send it to the address. I'm just <laughs> we'll buy a Failing that. <laughs> you can go to ko-fi.com, ko-fi.com forward slash roots and donate as little or as much as you'd like to buy Hadley and Marley, Marlinsky and Hadders, <laughs> a dog biscuit <laughs> this week. And you can find us on all your favourite podcast delivery mechanisms. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, please leave us a review on any of those as well. And uh, you can subscribe too from there so you never miss never. an episode. Never. And don't forget to find us, particularly cat people, send your complaints to our Instagram uh, feed, which is at Roots Wings Podcast, where you'll also find more than enough pictures of Hadley and Marley frolicking around and some pictures of Jez's floristry attempts too. <laughs> Looking forward to it. I'm going to get in there before you do. Say goodbye, Jez. <laughs> goodbye, Kathy. <laughs> Bye, Jez. Bye, Jez.